You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's News Podcast here on Big Review Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. If you're listening on our podcast network, please uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe there as well. Today, I have uh, Tom Radowski, former Giants scouting assistant with me to uh, talk about uh, a few giants related issues as we uh, as we begin to really look forward to to training camp haven't turned the corner from the 4th of July so uh, tom thanks for thanks for hopping on and uh, and doing this with me again absolutely always a pleasure thanks for having me yeah so so you know one of the things that you do these days is write for uh, 33rd team a publication that that i happen to like very very much mike tannenbaum joe banner uh, lots of uh, of former NFL execs, really smart NFL people. And you penned a piece the other day at 33rd Team really about Saquon Barkley and about uh, what you hope Brian Dable's impact on, on Saquon Barkley will be. Uh, if people haven't uh, haven't read that, why don't you just, uh, just talk a little bit about the piece that you did and, and basically – you know, summarize your, your, your thoughts on, on that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So really, you know, obviously Saquon Barkley is a very highly scrutinized player. You know, he's got a lot of pressure on him, former number two overall pick, you know, he's, he's like what, you know, Garrett Cole is to the Yankees, what Jacob deGrom is to the Mets, you know, he's the face of the team, one of the faces of the city, you know, and really the, the piece was just about how his relationship with Brian Dable and them teaming up, um, how, how Brian Dable could really be perfect for Saquon and what he needs. Um, certainly, we all understand Saquon's entering a huge season um, with a lot of pressure on him specifically this season. And, you know, that relationship of him with Brian Dable could lead to a lot of success, I think, because, um, you know, Brian Dable's offense is definitely more spread out. It's, you know, certainly Dable doesn't have a reputation of a you know, run first coordinator, but that's not a bad thing for Saquon. In fact, I think that'll be a really good thing because I think situationally Saquon will be in better positions and will be put in better spots to be able to have a lot more success than maybe we've seen the last few years. And certainly he needs it. So really the piece was just kind of about how I think this year he could really be well positioned for success working with that new, you know, head coach and, and offensive, you know, play caller. Yeah, I found it interesting because I was able to attend several of the of the offseason uh, workouts. And obviously, 
you know, it's spring and they're in shorts and t-shirts and they're not going to give away everything about what their offense is going to be. But you could see very, very clearly that this wasn't the sort of static Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, Freddie Kitchens offense. This was a much more spread out, much more horizontal based, RPO based, quick game based offense where you know, yeah, it was seven on sevens and, and all of that, but but I think this offense is going to be passing based and it's going to be spread based. And I think I think you're right. I think that probably fits what Saquon Barkley does, you know, better than what he's what what he's tried to do the past couple of years. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, I think, you know, you watch the Bills the last few years under Brian Dable, and yeah, they they utilize the entire field. You know, they really spread you out. Um, you know, a lot of 10 personnel, you know, four receivers and, and, uh, and basically, yeah, just a lot of spreading teams out and, you know, not, not exactly the, the heavy, you know, 12 personnel, 13 personnel offensive looks we've seen from the giants a lot in recent years. Um, And, and I think that, as you said, and I totally agree, and that's kind of what I highlighted as well. You know, I think that is better for Saquon's run style. You know, if, obviously he's an enormously talented back. We all know that. I think, you know, he's at his best on the perimeter. You know, he's not a, a, a between the tackles bruiser that I think is meant to have, you know, 25 to 30 carries a game and wear down a defense. You know, that's not the type of runner he is. And I don't want to call him a finesse runner because I think that that would probably be doing him a disservice, but I think, again, he is better on the perimeter where he can use that change of direction, that explosiveness, you know, those unbelievable athletic qualities that he has, you know, as opposed to kind of being inside, again, inside the tackles, you know, ground and pound type mentality. So and, and I think you're going to see that under Brian Dable. And I think that that's, again, going to going to put him in advantageous positions. Yeah, it's interesting when it comes to Saquon. I call him a home run hitter. Not necessarily, as you said, he's not necessarily an inside the tackles kind of runner. He doesn't, he's six one or whatever, six foot, 230 some pounds, but he doesn't want to lower his head or lower his shoulder and, and, and try to push that defensive tackle backwards for an extra yard. He wants to get out of that. He wants to get out of there. And, and I don't know when, when you have watched him, it's almost hard to watch him run in the middle because he runs like he doesn't want to be in there. He runs like he's looking for an escape hatch. And yeah. And, and, and and I, let me see if you agree with this as well. You know, it has driven me crazy the last couple of years. And even sometimes with Pat Shermer to watch the giants, just simple handoff up the middle, you know, one side of the center or the other, but I've often wondered if, well, this offensive line has been so bad that it's basically the only thing they feel like they can execute. I wonder if yeah. I wonder if that's got something to do with it. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of factors that have definitely contributed to that. You know, one of the things I mentioned in the piece is that, you know, Saquon, the situation around him has been uh, just to put it bluntly horrible. 
you know, for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, and, and I think this certainly is shaping up to be a much better situation. And, you know, I think I think one very astute observation you pointed out, which I completely agree with, and that and this is one thing that we always, you know, I always felt about Saquon on film is, you know, he's a guy that he, he does always look to bounce runs outside, you know, almost a little too much, in my opinion. Like, I think there are plays and there are times when a running back just needs to kind of keep within the tackles and get what's blocked, you know, three, yeah. four, five yards, you know, because yeah. on first and 10, you know, if, if maybe the blocking isn't great, but you can still pick up four yards, you know, that's a lot better than maybe trying to bounce it outside. Now you only get one yard. I mean, second and six well, is a lot different than second and nine from a play calling standpoint. And so mm-hmm. I think that's one weakness of Saquon's is sometimes he just needs to get what's blocked, but totally agree that, at his core, you know, he's a home run hitter and he's got all the athletic tools to do that. And certainly, you know, Giants fans want to see him be that guy. And I think he can be that guy again. Yeah. I'm actually so glad to hear you say that because I've, I've said for years that for me, you know, the one thing that I wish Saquon would learn, I remember watching Wayne Gallman run you know, a couple of years back and Gallman doesn't have nearly the talent of Saquon, but Wayne Gallman, that, Last year he was with the Giants. He would get every every inch possible out of every run. And, and and the thing that has always driven me crazy about Saquon is a lot of times when you give him the ball, especially in between the tackles, he'll turn a two yard, two or three yard gain into a two yard loss. And and that just puts your offense in a bad spot. Yeah. No, absolutely right. And and yeah, exactly. I mean it's again a lot there are a lot of plays where you just need to get what's blocked and live to see another down because exactly second and eight and second and 12 boy those second and 12s those third and longs they put a lot of stress on your offensive line which wouldn't you know it that's been one of the weak points for the Giants so no doubt I I think he needs to he needs to find that blend of taking what the defense gives him while also still maintaining that that home run attitude at times. And I think that's when you're going to see him get back to being the back that, you know, he ultimately was his rookie season, that electric, you know, playmaker. Do you think that guy is still there? I mean, I've wondered if he's still there. I wondered if, if maybe something close to that might still be there, maybe more what we saw in 2019 in his second year. I'm, I'm just curious what, you know, what the expectation should be for Giants fans when it comes to Barkley. Yeah, no, and it's a fair question. I I do think that that guy is still there. I think he's he's. I mean, he still he still has all the all the traits and all the ability. You know, I think one thing that's really hampered this guy's ability to consistently perform is just obviously the injuries. You know, I mean, and not only when you when you have an injury during a season, but even coming back from an injury, I mean, that, that takes a huge mental toll on a player and especially a running back when, you know, you're pretty much getting hit every time you touch the ball. And, you know, I think last year uh, to me, when you watch Saquon, you could see that you could see that he just, he wasn't completely comfortable. He didn't completely feel the free reign to kind of be himself. And, and, you know, I, I think, um, not only Giants fans, but football fans. I mean, we want to see Saquon return to being that guy. And I, I think he can be as long as he's cleared that mental hurdle. What's your guess on his future in New York? And obviously, I mean, you're, you're not part of the organization anymore. So this is just an outside perspective. And because we're, he's in his fifth year option. I mean, what's, what do you, what do you think is, is the long-term future, you know, for Saquon with the Giants? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, ultimately, I think he is a guy that after this year, he's not going to be a giant. And the reason I feel that way is with with uh, Brian Dable and Joe Shane coming from Buffalo, you know, to me, um, they didn't place a great emphasis on the running back position, and which which I think is smart, you know, from a team building standpoint. Um, I think they're, I think the running back position, especially when you've got an offense that is spread out, that's kind of pass heavy. I think there are a lot of different guys at that running back spot that can get the job done. I think you can kind of mix and match skill sets. I think you can, I I do agree. I think you can find backs in the mid to late rounds that'll do the job. Um, And ultimately, and it's not that Saquon wouldn't make a huge difference for the Giants moving forward. I think he would, but it's just a matter of what you're going to have to pay him versus what you can find in the draft, what you can find, you know, for pretty cheap dollar and free agency, you know, and that's, that's ultimately the balance. And I just ultimately feel like um, this new regime that's in there, they're going to, they're going to kind of stray away from paying a running back as opposed to doing it. Uh, Even as, as great of a talent as Saquon is. Sure. It's about resource allocation. And I think that, that Joe Shane, just even in some of the draft choices that he's made and some of the, the free agent decisions he made this off season, I think that, that he's shown maybe a more, I want to say a more modern approach when it comes to posi- what everybody calls positional value. And it's not just on-field positional value. It's also monetary value in terms of the salary cap, in terms of if you're paying over average at a position like running back, that means maybe you have to pay undervalue at a position like corner. So I, I think he's shown, you know, that, that he, that he pays attention to those things more than, more than maybe Dave did. Dave was a guy who just looked at talent and said, I want that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I, and I think, you know, I think we all have an opinion, whether you you're on the inside or you're not, you know, your scout coach fan, whatever. I think we all have an opinion about, you know, if philosophically, should you pay a running back, you know, you know, paying a running back, I mean, that's a big debate. And, you know, my personal opinion, I don't think paying running backs is really ever a smart thing. Uh, I think unless it is quite literally Derrick Henry, who's proven that he can handle a ridiculous workload year after year and stay healthy. But I think, you know, a guy like Saquon, I mean, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but he's he's had so many injuries that even if he goes out this year, he plays 16, 17 games. You know, can you rely on him to be healthy moving forward? And that's I just don't know that you can. And so I think, you know, again, there's there's a lot of opinions when it comes to whether you should pay a running back and ultimately, you know, we're going to see how, you know, the Giants new regime, you know, feels moving forward. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. 
Real Traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Tom, let's let's talk about another topic. And, uh, you know, this one's a little bit close to you, you know, having been in the Giants front office for, I believe it was three years, correct? Three years that you were a scouting assistant with the Giants. And there was there's there's been talk about the Mara family and the involvement of the Mara family and how and and how involved they were in football decisions and all there's been a lot of talk about that you know especially prior to to Joe Shane becoming GM and the news broke recently that Chris Mara is no longer technically part of the Giants front office he's still got an ownership stake but his title is now senior personnel consultant rather than senior vice president of player personnel. And maybe it's semantics, maybe it's not, but he no longer shows up in the personnel department, you know, listing when you look on, uh, on giants.com. Just your thoughts on, uh, on that whole move on Chris Mara, maybe on how much involvement he had, whether this is just, you know, bookkeeping, just your, your thoughts on that whole, on that whole scenario. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, that's something that's come under scrutiny a lot, you know, um, not only over the last few years, but especially over the last, you know, seven, eight months, you know, as uh, the, the performance of the team in the front office has has obviously um, not been good. Um, you know, I, I think as far as Chris's involvement when I was there, um, you know, certainly there, there's only a, a select amount of people kind of in that circle of trust. And ultimately, if you're not in that circle of trust, you know, there are a lot of things that ultimately you don't have the most exposure to. Um, from from certainly my knowledge, you know, Chris was not uh, super involved in a lot of the day to day stuff. Now, you know, how many conversations he had with John Mara and others, you know, certainly those things might have gone gone on. Uh, but certainly in the day to day, you know, it wasn't something where he was involved a great deal. Um, now, you know, Tim McDonald, on the other hand, is very involved in, in, in pretty much absolutely everything that goes on, you know. But as far as Chris Mara, um, not someone that was, you know, super, super present in the day-to-day personal oper- personnel operations per se. So you look at this as more just sort of bookkeeping or something that's that's symbolic, you know, the, the sort of change in title for him? Ultimately, I do, yes. I, I think uh, I'm not sure that his role in-house will actually change from what it was. I, I think it is more of a bookkeeping type thing, yes. Sure. So – Hey, let's talk about this. We've got training camp coming up in uh, roughly three weeks now. Um, looking ahead to uh, to that, I'm just curious if there are a couple of of position battles, a couple of things that that you're really really looking forward to when it comes to uh, to camp when we get there. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one thing that always excites me with any team in training camp is watching the rookies, watching how they develop, watching how they pick everything up, um, especially this year with, you know, two highly touted players like uh, like Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, I think that's going to be really exciting to watch them develop, progress, hopefully, obviously get healthy and stay healthy. Um, so th- I think the rookies would be my biggest thing. But, you know, also just kind of um, continuing to, you know, talk about what we talked about earlier with Saquon, but, you know, him and Daniel Jones, I mean, this is just, these are just massively important years for their careers and, mm-hmm. and they're just, they're just huge for both of them. And so certainly you hope for, for obviously good health for them too, but, you know, really just a good solid camp that has them feeling good going into the year. So, I mean, those guys are really under the microscope big time. So it would, it would be, it would be those two as well as, you know, the rookie class. Sure. You know, I, since you went to Daniel Jones, I have been asked, and I get asked the what I simply call the Daniel Jones question. I do a mailbag every week, and and I get asked the the Daniel Jones question in a bunch of different ways every single week. And basically, what it comes down to is: is Daniel Jones going to be the quarterback of the Giants beyond the 2022 season? And I always say, look, it's entirely possible. You know, he's he was the sixth overall pick. He hasn't had great surroundings, all of that. We know what the situation's been, but you've got a new GM, you've got a new head coach, and and historically those guys want their own guy. So I've always said, yeah, it's possible, but I think odds are against it. I think odds odds are that if he's if he's competent, if he's average, to me, odds are unless he's tremendous that that he that that the Giants move on and look somewhere else just yeah yeah and yeah no absolutely and and Ed it's funny because I I, you know I wrote a piece on that pretty much that exact you know concept and idea back in March for the 33rd team as well I mean really it's it is truly quite a conundrum that the Giants find themselves in you know Daniel Jones is one of those guys where you know um, he is so highly thought of by so many coaches and scouts and big time evaluators around the league. I mean, he's really a well-respected player in league circles, but we all can't deny. Um, I mean, just a lot of the inconsistencies and frustrating performances that he's had over the last few years. And I mean, he's just such a polarizing player. I mean, everyone, that's another player. Everybody has an opinion on Daniel Jones and the spectrum of opinions on him is so wide ranging. And ultimately, yeah, I think this season is going to be huge watching him play with, with Brian Dable, seeing how that relationship plays out. And, and ultimately, yeah, I think when, you know, when this regime, when they look to the future, I mean, they have to make a very key decision, you know, can Daniel Jones be our guy? Can we win a Super Bowl with Daniel Jones? You know, that's, that's ultimately the question that you have to ask. I think when, when finding for and evaluating a potential franchise quarterback is if everything is right, you know, can we win a Super Bowl with this guy? And, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really tough situation and, you know, a lot of pressure on, on uh, DJ this year for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because you can, you know, especially if he plays, if he plays, if he doesn't play in a, in, in a fashion that makes it obvious what the Giants should do, you know, if he, if he's somewhere in the middle, like, oh, you know, we, we could, we can win 10 games with this guy, you know, but, but can we, but can we go deep in the playoffs? So it's, it's hard. And I guess what that leads me to is I looked at it. I looked at quarterbacks drafted in the first round over maybe a 10 year period. 
And if you if you're judging quarterbacks by the idea that okay, if you want to put him in the top tier, he's a Pro Bowl guy, he's an All Pro guy, he's a guy that wins playoff games. I think that even guys drafted in the first round, I think the NFL success rate is like 30% in drafting those guys. And I'm just curious for your thoughts on why it's so darn hard to evaluate quarterbacks and for NFL teams to draft and develop quarterbacks and get these guys in places where they can succeed. Yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, that's, that, that's a long discussion and there's a lot of layers and, and levels to that discussion. I mean, I think it's not only obviously the player skill set, their intangibles, but the situation that they come into and then the, the player development program, the, the strength training program that's in place in that building. I mean, there's, there's just all kinds of, you know, facets that affect a quarterback's development positively or negatively. And, you know, certainly when relating it back to Daniel Jones, I mean, that's, that's one thing that unfortunately has really hurt his development is that the situation around him just has not been good, you know, and, and he's another guy that struggled to stay healthy. And, and, you know, another thing that's going to muddy the water and, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of muddied the water the last few years on the evaluation of Daniel Jones is, you know, let's say this year, let's say he goes out and plays the first eight games looks pretty good, but then he, then he gets injured. Um, and then he only ends up playing, you know, one or two more games the rest of the season. I mean, then you're in a position where, you know, the film he's put out there is really good, but again, he struggled to stay healthy and you couldn't get that clear evaluation. And I think injuries the last few years with him has made the evaluation a little bit more difficult of him. And so that's something again, that is just adds to the conundrum that, you know, the giants find themselves in. You know, another guy that, that I not necessarily argue with fans about, but I know a lot of Giants fans disagree with me. We, we always talk about at this time of year, we're heading into training camp and we talk about what bubble players, you know, guys who might, you know, veteran players who might make the roster, who might not make the roster. I have Darius Slayton sitting firmly on the Giants roster bubble. I think you look at Darius Slayton, who, because of the proven performance escalators, is going to make $2.54 million in 2022. I look at Slayton because he doesn't play special teams as a very replaceable part on this Giants roster. And I'm just curious if if, if you agree with me that that, you know, there's a pretty decent chance that he might not be on the roster at all. Yeah, I do think there's um, maybe even better than a decent chance, a good chance. And any player that's on any type of roster bubble, they have to contribute on special teams. Like if if you if you are on the roster bubble, you have got to be a factor on special teams or else your chances are greatly affected. Um, that's just the reality. Unless you have proven yourself as a must keep position player, you know, from the line of scrimmage. Um, the special teams value is huge. And with Darius, you know, besides some kick return stuff over the years, you know, it, it, it hasn't been there. And ultimately he's a guy with four, four speed, but we haven't seen that really play out in special teams the way that you would hope with being a gunner, you know, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think his lack of special teams is absolutely going to be a, a huge negative for him. He's one of those guys where he's got to show out in camp from the line of scrimmage. And if he doesn't, he could really be in serious trouble in my opinion. Yeah. I, I look at, at Darius and I, and I like, I like him. I think he's got talent, but 
on paper, when you look at it, he's wide receiver five. If he can't help cover a punt or cover a kickoff, it's hard to keep him on the roster. Yeah, and, and he's really a player. You know, one thing that happens all across the league during training camp is, you know, he, he's a player that you might look to flip for maybe another player in a position where maybe you're thin. You know, you you're looking at teams across the league and teams that are light at receiver, or maybe maybe they're, you know, they got some injuries early on in camp. They need another body at receiver. Um, if they if they value Slayton highly, you know, he's a player that you again could look to trade for a player in a position that maybe the Giants are a little weak at. So I, I would keep an eye out, out for that as well. Um, you know, and, and the biggest thing with a new head coach and a new GM coming in is, you know, they have no affiliation or no loyalty to Darius Layton. You know, he's not one of their guys per se. I mean, he is on a totally fresh slate and he has to reprove himself. And ultimately he's got to do a lot to make the roster, I think, because of that, because it's, you know, a, a new regime coming in. Right. That is, that's one of those things you talk about new regimes coming in and, and sometimes I think that, is it possible that sometimes these teams that, that some of the roster changeover that, that gets made is just because, well, that wasn't my guy. I want this other guy, you know, um, is it possible that some of that changeover maybe that we see in these rosters maybe isn't really necessary? It's just because, well, that's the former GM's guy, and I want to go ahead with my guys. Yeah, you know, certainly um, I'd like to say that all decisions regarding a roster are strictly about the best 53, but a lot of times that isn't the case, um, unfortunately. Um, yeah, there certainly is some element of, hey, that's his guy or that's my guy or he's got familiarity with the coaching staff, even if he maybe hasn't earned a spot. Um, you know, so there, that that stuff definitely is a factor when it comes to roster you know, decisions. As much as you wish that it, it wasn't, you know, it definitely is. I think everybody's a human being and everybody likes familiarity and people that they know and, and people whose, whose work habits they trust and things like that. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. As, as well as, you know, I think to me, like when you're looking at undrafted free agents, you know, and, and young guys, I mean, you're, you're trying to also chart their upside, you know, is it, mm -hmm. is it worth keeping them, you know, this season, even though it might pretty much just be a redshirt year for them, but we think this player has upside, you know, so that's another thing you're also measuring as well. And you, there, there's ultimately a lot of different factors at play when you talk about trimming a roster down to 53. Um. I don't know if I asked you this the last time I had you on, but let's, you know, as we look forward to training camp, let's kind of, let's kind of close up with, with this really, you know, we've been through the, we've been through the Shermer era with the giants and the McAdoo era, and then the era with, era with Joe judge. And every time you start over, everybody's optimistic and everybody wants to feel good about it. And, and I was as fired up as everybody else was when I heard Joe judges, you know, introductory speech at his first press conference would you at a, at this point would you say that it's okay for giants fans to be optimistic about what they've seen so far about about maybe this regime finally being the one to to get them pointed back in the right direction or or would you just say you know hang tight have patience and see what happens yeah, I, I think it's definitely, I think the the decisions that the front office has made, um, 
you know, I think there is a lot to be encouraged about as far as really building a team, you know, the right way moving forward. Um, so I definitely, I definitely do think that there is optimism that's warranted, um, you know, but in, in my opinion, you know, we'll really find out how things are when, when, when you start losing games, you know, and that's the case with any team around the league and not just the giants. I mean, any team, any franchise, like when you start going out there every Sunday and you start losing game, games and you lose three straight, you lose four straight. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, you know, there's injuries, there's adversity, you know, that's when you find out, you know, who's for real and who isn't uh, because the NFL season, it's a grind, it's a long year. Um, and, and again, when that adversity hits, you know, how is a team, how is a regime going to handle it? Um, and ultimately I think the ones that are successful when there's adversity, um, you know, it truly is just kind of a blip on the radar, but you know, other teams, it's, it's, it's a struggle to get out of it and it just spirals downhill from there. So, you know, you won't really know that question until, um, you know, things start going a little bit South and we see how, you know, this team and this regime ultimately can handle it and recover. It's interesting because we were talking about that during OTAs. I was talking about that with, with some of the other reporters because Brian Dable is the friendliest guy on the planet. Brian Dable comes to press conferences and he's always got a joke. He's always got, you know, a, a, a nice remark. He's always got some sort of interaction with media members that, that I'm not used to, to be honest with you. I've been doing this for 15 years now and, and I'm not used to some of the interpersonal stuff that goes on with, with Dable and Joe Shane and the media that, that I haven't seen before. I would never have seen with Tom Coughlin and I would have never seen with Joe judge, but I, I wonder if that's going to be there when they're and three, <laughs> that's what yeah. I've said. Are they going to be so nice when they're and three? Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I think once you get in season, consistency is key, a consistent message, um, the same message every week, you know, again, being consistent in what you do, because yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's all sunshine and roses right now. And you hear nothing but great things right now because everyone's O and O, you know, and then, then you play football week one, you got half the teams in the league that are O and one, you got half of them that are one and O and all those O and one teams are under scrutiny because they just lost, you know, and it's, it, so it's just, it's, you gotta be consistent. It's a long season, you know, there's ebbs and flows and it's, it's, I, I just feel like it's, it's obviously, you know, the teams that can kind of ride those the best and handle those the best ultimately are the ones that end up winning. And I know that's an obvious statement, but I think it's really, you know, it's really true when you break it down like that. Yeah. And, and the, the only other thing that I'll say is that, you know, Giants fans are tired of hearing, you know, have some patience. It's a, it's a rebuild. It's going to take time, all of that. But for me, it feels like the first time in a while that, that, you know, Joe Shane, Brian Dable, this organization, John Mara to a, to an extent, although John wants to win and he wants to win yesterday. It feels like the first time they've looked at it and said, you know, we can't fix this in one year. It's going to take some time. You know, there's, there's not a bandaid that's going to make us a playoff team tomorrow. And, and, and I think I, to me this year, you're not looking for 11 wins. You're just looking for, something that's not four wins and something that, that makes you feel like they're going forward. That, that feel accurate to you? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think one thing that I think all fans can appreciate is kind of an honest, 
um, approach from a front office. And, you know, you're never going to get the complete honest truth view from an owner or a general manager. But I think that honesty, you know, is something that fans really welcome and, and that understanding that, yeah, it's going to, it's going to take, you know, at least a couple of years probably. Um, but yeah, I think you just want to see this team make improvement. You know, you, you want to see them show strides. You want to see them have life. You want to see them compete. You want to see them fight in the fourth quarter when they're trailing, you know, you, you, you just want to see a football team with life and with energy and with juice and improving. And if you see those things, um, you know, those things often result in wins. So you see those things, you might see um, kind of the giants outperform, maybe their expected win total. All right. Hey, Tom, I appreciate your, uh, your spending the time. Just, uh, you know, remind folks where they can find you on social media, where they can find your work uh, before I let you go. Yeah, so uh, you find my work at the 33rd team on their website and then on Twitter um, at TRudy831. All right, Tom, thanks again. Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please remember to take care of each other out there. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.